obviously you made a right turn because here's the wrong kind of podcast hello everybody it is monday evening it's a beautiful evening my wife megan is here hey guys and we have a special guest in the studio mr bob miller how are you doing just fine so mr miller over here you are now the proud owner of a piece of property that is quite historical to southeast kansas and i guess nationally yeah what do, do you have a name for the property not really just call it the bender farm the bender farm so the bloody benders i want you guys to go google bloody benders uh north of coffeeville here near cherryville kansas there was a, a family we don't know you can probably get a little bit about that here in a minute they get credit for being the first serial killers in the united states don't they they do yeah so that's a hell of a claim to fame <laughs> but uh so you've brought the property and uh you're doing some stuff out there. I am. Tell us all about it. How'd you how'd you get to this point? Well, I found over the years that a lot of people are just naturally curious and they love stories. And if the stories involve murder, the interest spikes. And if the interest grows, if the mur- if the murder is gruesome, and it skyrockets if you mix a little sex into the oh, story yeah. too. It's better all the time, doesn't it? The Bender story has all of those from the Wild West to the gruesome bloody murders and to the daughter Kate being a very seductive temptress who was a big flirt with the men, and according to one report, was seen dancing naked in the cabin. And uh, Kate made flyers in 1872, promoting herself as Professor Katie Bender, and she claimed she could heal blindness, deafness, dumbness, and fits. And she was also into spiritualism, and claimed she could talk to the dead. In addition to that, the fate of the Benders is truly unknown. They really got away with murderers. Really, no one really knows what happened to them. And it was a lot easier to disappear back then to today because there were no pictures of the benders. True. And only sketches. And I've seen three pictures of the old man, John Bender, and they all look like three different people. (laughs) That is true. And at that time, newspapers couldn't even reproduce pictures, even if there were pictures available. They could only do sketches and drawings. And so the question now is, what can science and technology do to unlock uh, many of the Bender mysteries? So you've got a hold of the college is that what you're getting ready to talk about i'm sorry i didn't know if you had something prepared or not but no what uh what happened is in 1961 there was a replica of the bender cabin built in cherryville just to block off main street for tourism purposes to celebrate the kansas centennial Mm -hmm. and that cabin was in place all through the 1960s and through most of the 1970s before they sold it and moved it off and so it was open to the public, and it was real interesting to go through and actually see firsthand how big the cabin was and uh, uh, the whole story, because yeah. they had someone there to help you with the story and all that. And, you know, picture's worth a thousand words, yeah. or, or more to me anyway. And so my interest began in the 70s when I actually saw the property a couple times, or the, uh, the museum. And uh, it's always kind of intrigued me, that whole story, and I never really knew where the property was, and anything and then I saw in the paper that they were going to be uh, selling the property along with some other parcels mm. and that was in uh, February of 2020 right before COVID hit so I thought I'd just go uh, over to Parsons where they had the, the uh, uh, going to have the auction and see who ends up buying that Bender property mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I thought along the way over there I thought well maybe I might throw a bid in and so, sure enough I got over there and I threw a bid in, and one thing led to another, and I ended up owning the Bender property. Yeah, you have it. 
now I have it, and, and the main goal was, first of all, historical. We know what happened over there. I just want to find out where did it happen. Where was the cabin? Where was the Osage Trail, the outhouse, the burial grounds, the wells? And uh, and then also I figured it wouldn't be the worst investment I ever made anyway. So. Right. I've heard you talk about these outhouses before. Like we, we, your, your poor um, speech that you, or your presentation that you gave in independence, we had planned to be there. That was the night of like a horrible sure was. rainstorm. Yeah. So we watched you on Facebook live. I think somebody maybe was streaming or the yep. venue was streaming. Somehow we watched you on Facebook. So I've heard you talk a little bit about these outhouses. Why is that? What's significant about being able to find that particular location? But if we can find the outhouse and it hasn't been cleaned out and the and the samples are reasonably well preserved, they can be a treasure chest of information. For example, you get down there. I had a guy who contacted me who digs outhouses for a living in North Dakota, and he was down here on some other business last October, and he wanted to go dig the vendor place. And I said, no, I'm, in, I'm doing things with KU on a bigger scale than an outhouse, but I have some other ones in Independence that you might want to dig that were older houses. And... I watched him do what he does. He had a certain way of finding the outhouse. And you start digging down there, and you get down about a foot or two, and he gets into the this kind of the soft, rich black dirt because it's all broken down. It's not, it doesn't right. smell anymore or anything like that. And the outhouses were the uh, trash dumps of the day. You know, for example, what people couldn't burn, they would throw out. Mm-hmm. You know, bottles, food, different things like that. There might be still some bones down there. Uh, there's a variety of different things that we found. A lot of old bottles, medicine bottles, liquor bottles, mm-hmm. and uh, in the uh, when you get into that black soil, uh, KU says they can also get get some soil DNA out of there, which can tell a lot of times what kind of diets the people had at the time, and maybe even what diseases they had. And so it's real fascinating. There's even a remote possibility of get, extracting some human DNA out of there. That's an extreme remote possibility. Sure. But to find out, and, and one thing that usually shows up in those outhouses are undigested tomato seeds. Hmm. That's, um, that's a little odd. I know. Like, yeah. Is that? I don't really like tomatoes. That's okay. <laughs> is that how you guys go about finding these outhouse locations? <laughs> you look for the, <laughs> the crop growth? Well, you know, it's kind of, kind of fascinating is that, uh, in Independence, I know a guy who worked at the water department, and uh, all of the sewage comes in there, and they separate the water from the, the solids. And and in, in one certain area over there, they uh, always grow a whole bunch of tomato plants every year. So, uh, and he goes, the city employees have all the free tomatoes that they Jeez. want to eat. <laughs> I, I, I ate uh, graveyard cantaloupes one time. Okay. That was, yeah. Did they, you really? Yeah, that's pretty good. Huh. Fascinating. Yeah. So where are we at now? I know you guys had KU up there. Well, we had uh, KU up. I w- I was I've been in contact with. Uh, well, first of all, when I bought the property, I was kind of at a standstill of where do I start? Who do I get hold of to help me dig this stuff up? And uh, so I've reached out to a number of different people. Got wasn't getting any traction, but finally I decided, you know, uh, maybe. Uh, a university where they have an archaeology department would be an ideal place where they have the resources and mm-hmm. the people to do this. And I reached out to several in the area in Kansas, and I 
thought if nobody's interested here, I'll just keep going east and west all the way to the coast and I'll find somebody who wants to do this. And KU was interested in setting up, uh, uh, setting things up where they would come out and look, uh, which is what they've done this summer, uh, on site, uh, not, not only physically on the ground, but they also have equipment, mm-hmm. ground penetrating radar, some mag- magnetometry and other methods that they can use to look under the ground without actually digging to see if these are some prime spots to dig. Interesting. And we've also found on the surface in a certain area, and they picked the, the area completely clean, and they GPSed everything, so we've got pins on everything, what, what they took, uh, some pieces of uh, pottery and glass and a few pieces of metal. And uh, so we don't know, is that where the Bender location was? Was that where the Osage Trail was? Was that just a dumping ground? We don't know yet. Uh, they're in the process of analyzing this now. And they said they'd get back to me in a few months and let me know. And hopefully if they can find some things some, and some from, from some of their observations and their equipment, uh, they'd like to maybe come back in the spring, during spring break, to do a little bit more work mm-hmm. and possibly even setting up a field school for next May or June oh, wow. where they could bring some students out uh, and do some excavation uh, for a few weeks. And then if that's successful, maybe bring some more students out in the, in the summer of 25. Are there any uh, old-timers that happen to be a passed down where <clears throat> things were? Like, do you have a general idea of where you think the Bender plantation was? Or we, we really know. No one's around that really knows. And you go out there, and it's, uh, it's 160 acres, which is a half mile by a half mile. Yeah. And every which way you look, it looks about the same. Yeah. It's, it's just flat. It's planted in soybeans. It's been uh, planted in soybeans since roughly the 1940s, excuse me, planted in crops since the 1940s. So it's been plowed hundreds of times. Yeah, and and the plowing doesn't go as deep as you think. It goes, you know, maybe six, eight inches at the most or so. And, uh, but there's a certain area, it seems to kind of tilled up some uh, pottery and glass and things of that nature that you don't see in other parts. So... And I know that stuff can get kind of scattered. It doesn't mean it was right here. Sure. But hopefully it was, that means maybe it's in the area. Yeah. And so we're hoping that uh, that's our primary source. So we really don't know for sure. There's nothing out there that says, hey, there's, we, we see wagon wheel ruts or anything like that. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be neat if you could actually find the Osage Trail, too, because that was a big deal. That, yeah. Huge. Uh, well, the, the Osage Trail was a huge thing. I call it the Interstate Highway of the Day. Mm-hmm. And it went from Fort Scott to Osage Mission, which is now St. Paul. And then after they opened this up to uh, settlers and, and moved the Indians to Oklahoma and bought the Osage Indians out, uh, the uh, Osage Trail was pretty well, uh, hit more heavily traveled from uh, St. Paul to Independence. And uh, But even before then, it was still a pretty good trail that the Osage Indians traveled on, other travelers were on. Missionaries were on because Osage Mission in St. Paul was set up as a big mission to convert the Indians to become Catholics. Mm-hmm. So they were out here in the whole area trying to convert the Indians and traveling all over the place. Huh, fascinating. Yes, very fascinating. I didn't know that's why that was there in St. Paul. Yeah. That, that. It was actually called Osage Mission before it was called St. Paul. Is that, no clue. Yeah. is that where that big church is on the... Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, I- 
I don't know much history about the uh, corner of the state that I live in because, you know, we're in this dark zone, basically Oklahoma. <laughs> so I can tell you a lot more about Oklahoma than I can tell you about Kansas. I thought you were going to say in the Dalton bubble. Like, that's well, our history. Yeah, that's we the are what, in the Dalton You bubble. know, that's what we are claim to fame here. So I've, They have a good museum, too. But it's a, a fascinating story. And I know, Justin, you told them to Google it, but and you were starting to share a little bit about the Bender story. Like, we know that they they got away, but what do we know about the people that, like, do we just kind of speculate that these people are the ones that that they potentially killed, or do we have some sort of... Um... Well, there, there was documentation when uh, there were a number of people. Well, first of all, the Benders came in very late 1870. Uh, the two men came and, and built a cabin. The two women came out in early 1871. And just because they said their name was Bender doesn't mean that's what it was. Right. Because you could, you could move anywhere you wanted to move and create a background you wanted to create and a name and no one knew any difference and they couldn't check you out yeah so the old man was called john bender the the wife we assume was his wife was called almira or alvira or no one really knew for sure <laughs> or they called her she devil <laughs> and the 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 man and woman who were in their 20s we really don't know were they husband wife were they brother sister stepbrother stepsister uh, we don't really know, but his name supposedly went by John, and her she was Kate or Katie. And so we've got two older couples, man and woman, and, and one's in their 20s, man and woman. And uh, they there started being some a few people missing, being dumped out in a, either a creek or by the side of the road, Osage Trail, uh, with a blunt whack of in the back of the head in their throat slit and uh then that w w picked up a little bit of steam in 1872 and there became more people missing and uh enough to warrant a little bit of attention and fear in the area and uh it was actually dr york uh, the doctor who lived near the uh, uh ingles family actually southwest of independence mm -hmm who uh, went missing in uh, March of 1873. They kind of broke the case open, and what happened there is he uh, went to see his parents in Fort Scott. He was coming back. He never arrived. His brother was a real prominent Kansas state senator at that time, and uh, he set, uh, formed a policy to go out and look for him and hired a private investigator, and uh, that started turning the heat up on the benders, and Eventually, uh, they found the property uh, deserted in early May of 1873, and uh, they walked in to the cabin and they smelled the smell of death. Yeah. Yeah. And several of the guys in the group had been Civil War veterans. What a lot of people don't realize, there were a lot of Civil War War veterans coming to this part of the state in the uh, in that period of time either wanting to homestead. Homesteading meant you could uh, stake your claim on 160 acres. If you lived on it and proved it for five years, it was yours for free. But mm -hmm. they also, some were coming to buy land from somebody else too. But the 
thing that people don't realize is that so many Civil War veterans were coming out here is because for every year you served in the Civil War, you had a year off of your five years of homesteading. Oh. Oh. So if you were in the Civil War for three years, all you have to do is stand the land for two years and you have a free 160 acres. And that was a huge amount of land at that time because can you imagine having a garden, 160 acres, which is a half mile by half mile a day because you're working it by hand. It's 160 acres, still a pretty good chunk of land today. If you're you're out there walking it and working it by hand, it's just huge. And, uh, but, but anyway, uh, there was just a whole bunch of Civil War veterans. And so we know, so when they started, had that smell of death, they went through the cabin, and the cabin was only 16 by 24, so it wasn't very big at all. And you had four people staying in there, plus any guests that they had. And see, they they set out to do this from the very beginning because they located the Osage Trail because it was like the interstate highway of the day. And they would lure people in with the, a meal or a place to stay and then size them up to see if they were worth robbing and killing. And of course, it's not only for their money, maybe their jewelry, maybe their horse or buggy, right. whatever the case. And, uh, they didn't kill everybody, but, uh, they, uh, killed enough to obviously attract, uh, attention. And, uh, so they, uh, uh, essentially just, uh, and then when they disappeared, they went in, the cabin smelled death. They went. They opened the trap door of the cellar, and it just uh, really smelled like death. So they actually moved the cabin off of the foundation, which wasn't very hard to do. Stick a few poles underneath and lift it off to get down into the cellar, which was about a six foot by six foot uh, mm. uh, space. And the smell was just horrible, horrid. But there was no no bodies, no body parts either. So. You know there's something going on here. It's just, where is it? And then, actually, Dr. York's uh, younger brother was in a uh, uh, buggy up high so he could look down. And it had been wet in the spring of 1873, and he noticed an indention over in this orchard. And uh, it looked like kind of like maybe a grave, so he, decided, he suggested that they dig it. And they dug it, and the first victim that came up was his own brother, Dr. York. And he had been whacked with a blunt object, like a big hammer, in the back of the head to either stun him or kill him. And then they slit their throats. And they, some of them were slit so deep, they were, it almost looked like a, what you would look at today as a Pez dispenser. Oh, <laughs> And nice. that gives you kind of an idea of how yeah. bad it was. Right back there, yeah. Yeah. And uh, then they started digging, and, and they had a real scientific way of figuring where to dig. They would stick a metal rod into the ground and to see if they hit anything, and they would decide where to dig there, or they'd pull the rod up to see if it smelled bad, and that's where they would dig. So we also kind of wonder, are there other bodies out there? And this orchard that they had in the back was just a cover because they tilled the orchard up, which made it look like you're tilling the ground for the orchard. Well, Mm -hmm. that also hid the fresh burial grounds, too. Wow. So you got a pretty cool story about... uh president that i like i do there's a connection between the benders and obama yeah and there was a lady who came up to me that i know and she said she was cleaning her mother's uh, house out and came across this newspaper article and uh it was her double great-grandfather named david dunham and david and his in the newspaper article said david and his wife and seven kids were coming down from indiana 
and they uh, stayed at the vendor place on their way to Havana to buy some property. And they had a lot of money on them, too. And the one of the little boys was sick, and uh, the mother stayed up all night with the boy. So if you can imagine, there's four vendors and seven kids and two other Jeez. adults in a 16 by 24 cabin. That's a lot of people. That Jeez. probably it was, most were sleeping on the floor. And uh, but anyway, the uh, mother was up all night, and and fortunately nothing happened to them. They went on their way the next day. The mother was was quoted in the article as saying that she had noticed some blood stains. Uh, near the uh, trap door and a light on in the cellar. I thought it was kind of creepy and eerie. And uh, But the story goes on that David Dunham, who arrived safely with his family, had an old uh, another brother named Jacob Dunham. And Jacob had some descendants down the road. And uh, a few generations down, Stanley Dunham was born in 1942 in Wichita. And Stanley Dunham was named after her father, Stanley. So Stanley was a woman. And the Stanley Dunham, who was born in 1942, is President Obama's mother. Jeez. There you go. And I kind of look at it like President Obama's kind of a lucky guy because if David Dunham and his wife would have been killed by the benders and that yeah. little boy hadn't been sick, and then his brother Jacob would have gone looking for him and gotten killed by the benders, then yeah. Obama would have never been born. That's a pretty close connection right that there. That is. That's what I was talking about. There's just, the world's just, you're just a two or three connections away from something all the time. It's really oh. interesting. Huh. Dunham is Obama's paternal? Yes. Maternal. 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 Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. You should send him a letter and let him know about <laughs> that. <laughs> that. That's why I invited him down to uh, take a look at the, the yeah. Bender place and see where he almost wasn't born thanks to... Uh, yeah. A little boy who was sick. Good times. I'd like to see if he'd actually show up. You know, that I didn't realize that it was such a short time period that they were there. It was just all of 1871, 72, and then about four months in 1873. That seems crazy to me. That, like, this big, sordid story comes from two and a half years. When were the Ingalls here? The Ingalls uh, were here... Well, they actually showed up in the 1870 census. And one of the uh, ties, in, in a way, to the Benders with the Ingalls, too, is they had a neighbor, na neighbor named George Loncor. And George Loncor happened to be one of the Bender victims as well. Really? And that poor guy was in the Civil War. And you stop and think, there were at least four Civil War veterans of the, of the victims. And they survived all these battles of the Civil War, okay. and here they get caught by the Benders. Hmm. But anyway, this George Loncor, who's a blacksmith by trade, a Civil War veteran, and he married, a, he was in his 20s, married a, a young woman in her teens. They had a child, and the uh, child died. Then they had another child, a little girl, and then the mother died shortly after the child was born. And this child was about a year and a half old, and he was... And he was actually, like I said, next door neighbor to the Ingalls. So he was on his way. We don't know for sure whether it was to Iowa or to Missouri to take the child so the other family could raise her because he just didn't have the wherewithal to mm -hmm. to do that. And he stopped at the Bender place uh, in uh, late 1872, and the Benders killed him and his little girl. Jeez. His little girl was, was the only uh, victim 
who uh, didn't have her head bashed in and throat slit. It is probably suffocated her, I guess. Some speculate she was buried alive. I would tend to think they probably suffocated her because uh, that would, uh, I just can't imagine yeah, yeah. them burying someone alive. So for people listening, we're referring to the Ingalls. We're talking about Laura Ingalls and her bunch, which is yes. Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, the Little yeah. House on the Prairie people. So which you can also come see here. Yeah, so if you're not from around southeast Kansas, we are referring to Little House on the Prairie, the beloved TV show that all of us watched in the 70s and 80s. Exactly. Or, you know, yeah. the good books. The, the books we don't read, right? <laughs> yeah. Read. English teacher here, we read. Yeah. <laughs> so what else you got over there in them notes? Some notes are just full of all kinds of tidbits of information. Well, the, the one thing we want to do ultimately is we're looking for uh, some, uh, if we excavate, mm-hmm. we're looking for body parts bones, teeth, because we can DNA analyze those and find hopefully find living descendants today. Goodness, that we, would be fascinating. We, we've already found some living descendants, not direct, you know, like for example, Dr. York had four kids, but we can't find any living descendants today because his kids died early and so on. But yet some of his uh, brothers and sisters have some living descendants today that we've kind of run into and some other victims too. And, uh, you know, if you find some bones, human remains, and, and teeth and such, you know, key, uh, KU has a DNA department, and they can analyze that stuff, hmm. and maybe we can make some links with some living descendants today, and we, who knows what kind of stories the DNA could tell us. Same thing with other other uh, bodies out there, and a lot of times you just don't know what you're going to find until you actually excavate, because there's no machine that's going to say, hey, there's a skeleton down there, or there's a skull down yeah. there. But there's going to say there's something down there of interest, and then you start doing your excavation. But the uh, the we might find from some of the descendants, maybe they have some stories to add to things as well. Yeah. And then also, I'd like to kind of shed some light on the victims because in a lot of cases, the victims have just been overlooked. They're just a name. Yeah. And uh, you know, right now we know at least four of them were Civil War veterans. I have a lady who's doing some research for me now, and she's uh, got their. Uh, Civil War files from the National Archives to go through those. Uh, she's found some uh, other living descendants, found some stories where, you know, like there was one case where a woman was married to a, to a Confederate uh, veteran or a Confederate soldier. He got killed. Then she married another guy who was a Bender victim, and he was, of course, a Union guy, and he got killed, so she's twice widowed, oh, probably by no more than 30 years old. And, uh, you know, and you stop and think about what life was like back then. It was devastating for the woman left behind, with especially with kids. Right. Because they didn't have any means of support, uh, just really... Community. Se- second-class citizens. Take them in. Really, yeah. yeah. They, they, if they didn't find a husband right away, they were just almost kind of sunk. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, pretty much, I mean, if you weren't maybe a school teacher or a saloon girl or a nurse or something there just wasn't much for a woman to do mm-hmm. to make any money and so to leave to not have their husband there to make a living was just devastating and uh, there was I think the woman I've had doing some research she was telling me there's one she's kind of off on now where they uh, gave some some of the kids up uh, some or, for adoption or not adoption they were orphans and back then, orphans could be not be just that the parents are dead. It could be that the people 
couldn't afford them, mm-hmm. or they were in prison or something. Right. And so the kids had to go somewhere, and just by any anybody could take them. So uh, you just never never don't know all those stories of what happened to the fam- families and the little story maybe about some of the victims what they what, where they were at before what they did before. Uh, that's what we're kind of looking for to yeah. to lend a voice to to them and uh, find out where they came from and what happened to their families afterwards. It would be interesting to see. I'm just fascinated by the whole thing, like in general, the whole story of not just the benders, but and the community around them. Were they, you know, like what kind of reception did they get from? the people who lived in the area, you know, did people think of them as an odd bunch? Were they well liked by community members? Do we have any idea of anything like the, the things that I read from newspapers.com, you can read a bunch of new articles on ancestry.com from back in the era that the benders were kind of a real clannish and kept to themselves and, and uh, kind of a odd bunch especially the older couple. Now, Kate was out promoting herself as a spiritualist and talking to the dead and luring people in and flirting with the men and stuff like that. And uh, spiritualism was real big back then because one of the things, that we, you know, we don't think about this stuff today, but that had gained some ground, started in the oh mid-18th, 40s or 50s, something like that, and picked up steam, but it really picked up steam uh, during and after the Civil War, because there were so many men that went off, you know, brothers and sons and fathers to the Civil War that never came back. You don't even know what happened to them. And so people didn't, weren't able to give them a proper burial, and they assumed they were dead, they didn't even know. And there was this, this yearning to reach out and talk to those people, find those people. So people were really into spiritualism a lot because they wanted to desperately connect with their loved one. And Kate and others took advantage of that by uh, claiming they could do that. Right. Right. Hmm. How long did it take to travel from, let's say, Caney, Kansas, to the Bender's Farm? Do we have any idea... Back in the day, I mean, we're talking like a day trip, two days trip. Well, you stop and think the average that someone could travel was about 20 to 30 miles a day. And oh, that wow. sounds like nothing today. But, you know, you stop and think if you, most people walk about three miles an hour. So you assume that it's uh, good weather and good terrain. You might go three or four miles an hour. But how many hours a day can you do that? Yeah. And even on a horse, maybe four or five miles an hour. But what happens when you run into a creek mm-hmm. or a river? You might have to go go downstream until you get mm. shallow enough to where you can cross. That, that kind of puts it in perspective because you talk about this person's from St. Paul, but I'm thinking in 2023, I'm like, well, that St. Paul to Independence, what were they doing? You know, <laughs> they were traveling and they had to end up staying the night at this it's like you hole, going, essentially. Going to Tulsa back in the 80s, as you talk about. Well, before the days of the uh, railroads, you traveled by foot mm-hmm. or by a wagon or uh, or by horse. Yeah. And all of those were slow. And yeah. you know, wagons can break down, then you've got to fix them. Actually, you know, the stagecoach, I was reading some history on the uh, 
Wells Fargo stagecoach going from St. Louis to, to uh, San Francisco took uh, over 25 days. Oh, wow. The average speed was five miles an hour. See you in a month. Yeah. Take a month. So you'd send a letter, and then the letter would get there probably about, what, three weeks before you showed up and say, I'll see you in a month. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, so. I mean, you know, going 20, 30 miles a day would, would have been a good day. Hmm. And that's why when you're out there on the prairie, I mean, you're looking for a place where you could stay. Otherwise, you're just going to be camping out under the yeah. stars. Huh. Wow. That's and totally maybe that explains why it took so long for some people to realize that people were missing, right? Like that... The guy taking his daughter to his family. I mean, even if they were expecting them, it, it would take so long for them to get there in the first place. That it's crazy. And it, and it wasn't uncommon, also, for people just to go missing. Yeah, you'd leave home, and you know, if you left home and you were going to go any distance at all, a lot of times that's the last time you saw your loved ones. And uh, but I mean, there could be other robbers, highwaymen, other people that. Uh, could take you out as well as it was dangerous yeah out there on the roads and mm-hmm. uh people don't realize th- that today and those roads were just old trails a lot of times even muddy trails and were almost impassable trails and uh you, you know right today when we get on our air-conditioned car and we uh drive down the road and we come to a creek or a river, no big deal. We just cross the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> and and back then that would have been a big deal. A creek and a river would be a could be a major obstacle to mm. cross. It's more than I got. What else you got for us, Bob? Anything uh, good? Well the one thing, now do you put stuff in move stuff around on your talk or nope you, they're gonna hear it just like we're talking yeah unless you say oops i shouldn't have said that okay. yeah and then when Which, that doesn't happen very often. no not at all well, well the, the one thing that i i always thought about is, is why can't we find where the vendors are because i was reading an article in about 2012 about the grave of king richard III of england he was found and he was killed in the battle in 1485 and his grave his uh, grave remained a mystery until modern technology and science discovered his grave 527 years later wow. under a parking lot outside of London. Good grief, could you imagine? And I, and I figured if King Richard III could be found under a parking lot after 527 years, why can't we find out where all the Bender stuff took place? Yeah, I think you got a pretty good chance if that's the, yeah. uh, the, the high water mark yeah. 500 years later under asphalt. That's what, that's what we're trying to find out. <laughs> is there any of the orchard left at all? I'm sure you've done the same thing I'm thinking. Like, hey, is there any fruit trees around here at all? Stand of fruit trees? Because that was, you know, the thing, the orchard. Well, the, the orchard was just to cover. The, the okay. tr- the, you know, when you were there only a couple of years, how big could they grow? Okay. They were just little sticks. All right. And they, they were tilled up. It was just to cover for the barrel grounds is what it was. Oh, okay. And uh, there, 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 there weren't. They weren't there long enough or big enough to produce any fruit at all. When you say barrel grounds, you're talking about they put them in barrels or something and buried them? Is no, no they, they dug a hole in the ground and just dumped them in the ground. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. They, barrel they, grounds, I'm sorry, I misunderstood you. They, they, all the victims, uh, most of the victims were pretty well stripped yeah. of their clothing, of course, any jewelry and such, and uh, just put in some graves no more than probably two or three feet deep. That's crazy. You, you were saying earlier you want to some recognition to the victims i know there's uh 
markers. There's a marker down the road there at the uh, truck stop, and there used to be one on the old highway, which is how I, 10, 12 years ago when she come around here, how I got lost on the internet and figured out about where it was. And I was pretty close because I saw you guys down there digging, and I was kind of proud of myself that my <laughs> internet investigation, I was within about a quarter of a mile where I thought I was. But uh, I wonder if down the road there'd be a possibility to somehow have that uh, marker updated to add the names of the, the people. Because some of those are Civil War veterans that are, that seems pretty important that you'd want to recognize people get well, lost in doctors time. You know? Doctors, yeah, prominent folk just, around here, you know. Just community people. A little asterisk, Obama's almost not cousin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, got anything else for us? Let me see. See here, what else we have? I feel like I got you messed up on your notes. We jumped around. I know on you. we uh, we started asking. Well, questions. I get excited because this is all good stuff, and I want to know more about it. Yeah. I, I never thought twelve years later, after we drove around the country trying to figure it out, we'd have a guy that owned the property in here. This is close as you're going to get to the uh, benders right here. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I did share that story with him while you were. Oh, I don't know where you went, but yeah, yeah. I was going to get some glasses. Yeah. And so if, if you're listening and you want to get more on this, uh, look up, what is the name of the Cherryville Museum? It's just the Cherryville Historical Museum. The Cherryville Historical Museum. And it's a really cool little place. It is, a, it is a neat little place in there. They have a room devoted primarily to the benders, and they had the three bender hammers that came out of mm-hmm. their cabin. And they have good provenance on that, too, because Leroy Dick, who was a constable or like the policeman of that area, he took him out of the Bender cabin, gave him to his son, and his son gave him to the museum. So we know that they pretty much came now. Yeah. Were they the killing hammers? Probably. There's not a guarantee. But uh, it looks, the, the holes in the head uh, matched uh, a couple good. of the hammers. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting museum. And uh, they just take donations. We was there just not too long ago. And uh, it's a great little museum. There's quite a bit of historical stuff around here. It's kind of a neat little area to live in, you know. And it's it's one of those things too. They're they're open on Sunday afternoons from two to four, but if someone is, we ended up going there. is is in the area, and at other times and other days, if you call ahead, uh, they will open it up for you to come in uh, by appointment. It's kind of off the beaten path. You kind of have to go looking for it. It'd be nice if it was closer to the highway yeah. but, but still very cool I was going to plug for them that they also have um, what's her name Vivian Vance Vance thanks Vance yeah, yeah from uh, I Love Lucy well, she was Ethel right yeah. Ethel Ethel that she's there's a whole lot of stuff in there about her and yeah. um, and Mary Louise Brooks who is big New York Broadway mm-hmm. lady all that so, stuff so yeah there. it's very cool to see who's like from the community so. yeah yeah, Ethel Mertz or uh, Vivian Vance was born in Cherryville. She was raised in Independence hmm. and graduated from Independence High School before yeah. she went on to uh, claim her fame elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. But well. but the, uh, the the one thing that I have uh, uh, wanted to do is, or I used I talked about using my bully pulpit when I had, had uh, the audience there, is to uh, encourage someone to build another replica cabin. Because that's so powerful to see things in person. And that cabin was an exact replica. They even had it down to the uh, creepy, eerie, spooky mannequins <laughs> inside dressed up like the benders at oh, that wow. time. Is that what that picture I saw? Or I saw some weird, uh, what do you call that? Uh, the It reminded me of uh, the movie Escape from Alcatraz, those dummies. And I saw a picture yes. and I thought, I wonder where that's at. And like 
the dad was behind a curtain yes. with a hammer? Okay, that's that, what that was. That was a picture of the cabin at that oh, time. okay. And see, Cherryville supposedly didn't want to be associated with the benders roughly around the late 70s, 1980. So they sold the cabin to some farmer and he hauled it off and no one knows yeah. what happened to it since. And uh, so that really the story has gone underground for the last 40 years. I mean, it's it's out there, but it's not being promoted because yeah. in the 1960s and 70s, there was a uh, billboard on the south and the north side of Cherryville promoting that museum and that mm-hmm. attraction. And they had people there to show you through it and tell you the story. And uh, so most of the people today that are have a real interest in it are those who remember that era. And, uh, and of course, nowadays with the Internet, it makes it easier to access information as well. Yeah. But it's one thing to see it. It's another thing to hear about it or read about it. And I've talked to some people in Cherryvale, and I'm not getting as nice a response as I would like. And I've encouraged, uh, I thought, well, if they don't want to do it, maybe someone in Independence would do it. You know, for example, the Chamber of Commerce could take up that and uh, turn that into a uh, tourist attraction that would tie in with uh, the little house on the prairie. Yeah. Um, that little house on the prairie, when it got built because the son of the, is it the son, I think, of of the the person who owns the property, people were coming to just check it out. And so... I just saw that story the other day on yeah, Facebook. And he was like, hey, I'll... Let's, let's give them something to look at. And so they built one cabin to yeah. look like... And now it's like... Now and, it's our little house on the prairie place. I mean, we're... Yeah, it's got quite it's, a little spread there. Yeah, it's now. kind of a cool little place to go hmm. check out and see. Well, it's a real good place because, you know, you stop and think the more things in the area that people have to, to see, the more they're likely to yeah. come. Mm-hmm. Because you have the Dalton Museum here in Coffeville that's a great exhibit. You have a little house on the prairie. You could have something with the Benders. Uh, all, you know, 1800s, Pioneer, Wild West, right. early early days, and uh, all fascinating stories. Absolutely. It really is the Wild West. Really I never is. really thought that the Wild West was Kansas. I think I thought that was further west. <laughs> like, I'm from Missouri, so I'm a transplant over here. So I, I'm i just fascinated by the whole thing. I just didn't realize that Yeah. Yeah, that Kansas was. She was really just attracted to the uh, serial killer stuff over here while she moved <laughs> over here. <laughs> That's it. Well, I see you got stuff over in the bag. and I, After this is over, I'm going to have to check it out. I brought a few little samples of some things that I've picked up, some of the pottery and glass. Oh, very cool. And uh, it's uh, KU's pretty much picked the property clean now, so there's nothing out there for anyone to see. But uh, they, they have marked it, and, and they know where they got everything. Uh, I'm going to help you out here. Stay off his property. This is not a public... Don't go out there. We're not going to tell you where it's at. If you think you know where it's at, just stay off of it. It's private property. It's not open to the public. You don't want people out there messing around. There's nothing to see, correct? There's Correct. There's nothing to see. And all you're going to do is mess up what KU has started, and, and we want to find out where all this stuff happened and add to any stories. I mean, it's very interesting. I understand that you're, you you want to go look. Well, drive by and just keep on going and think about it and listen to this podcast and wait to see what uh, KU's got next time. Uh, what was the name of that YouTube video? Right before you got on, you told us the name of it. Uh, Ron Carlson's Faces of the Forgotten. So if you Google Faces of the Forgotten Benders, it's about a 30-minute video that he did on the Bender uh, property and story, and he went to the museum. So 
he's got a variety of different things yeah, in there. It's a pretty neat little video. I enjoyed it. He has a, a really cool little channel there in general. Yeah. I think like yeah. he has a lot of stuff. Through. I'll tell you one thing that I thought was kind of interesting with his stuff, and I've talked to him a number of times. Is uh, he was saying that you know back then you know one of the big fears were uh, people uh, uh, being buried alive. Eesh. And, uh, you know, that's not a fear today, mm. but it was back then because, you know, for example, you could fall into a, a, a deep a coma and and get kind of chilled and cool and not move, and people would assume you're dead. And they would uh, throw you in the ground and bury you. And uh, how they found out a couple times is that uh, there were some people in the area, and maybe something in the water they drank or whatever, but they developed this a coma and uh, some buried their people and some or their loved ones and others didn't give up on them and they snapped out of it later on. Then some were fearful, did we bury our loved one alive? And they oh, dug, dug him up and found out that they had bloody fingers from trying to dig out of the, of the grave. I believe. Well, that, that's terrifying. Yeah, I believe the term saved by the bell is there for a while. They would tie a string to your toe and somehow put a bell up above and somebody would watch the grave and if it rang... They knew he was in there moving around. Good grief. Right. I don't know which would be more terrifying, to be the person wiggling your toe or to be the person (laughs) when the bell rings. Another thing Ron was telling me about were grave robbers back then, too, Mm -hmm. because the, you know, and you don't think about that today either, but back then uh, they would, uh, medical schools would uh, pay their students to go out and dig up corpses so they could work on them and and study them and or pay grave robbers to go out and they were looking for fresh corpses those who were buried so what they would do is uh go out find someone who's going to be buried at night they would go out and put a tarp by the side of the grave dig up the grave till they got down to the body and if they're having any trouble getting the uh, body up they'd put some hooks on it pull it up like a fish into a boat get it out of the grave then they would take the dirt and put the dirt back on there and no one would even know that the the person was missing and because it all looked the the same yeah and they were paid uh you know five ten twenty bucks which is probably a lot of money at that time and like i said even some of their students were paid i i so i would assume they maybe got extra credit for <laughs> for uh, bringing in a Fresh body to work on. Got all the toes and fingers still. Yeah, or help, help, they help their grade anyway. Oh, Lord. This is not <laughs> good. <laughs> okay. I think I'm glad I'm... Yeah. I, well, you know. Well, modern age is wonderful. Well, we don't yeah. have to worry about grave robbers today, but actually people of means back then actually hired grave sitters to sit with round the clock, especially at night, uh, with their loved one's grave for several days because after several yeah, days sure. or a week they weren't interested it was too decomposed but they wanted to make sure that they didn't get dug up huh yeah that's, that's interesting i think i but if you if like i said if you listen more. to people listen to the faces of the forgotten with ron carlson's youtube channel there's a lot of stories like that on there and it's really good i'll definitely be diving into that yeah i know thanks yeah. new wormhole to dive into yeah. <laughs> all right Bob, thank you for uh, sharing. And yes, thank you. I, I'm looking forward, and I'm going to hope that there's something found out there. And if you do find something, I believe you're going to get way more attention than you probably want. 
Uh, well, you know, we did a lot of promotion to get people interested in, in this again, and mm-hmm. we had an excellent crowd because yes, uh, did. we were going to have it in the Civic Center downstairs, but it holds a little over 300, and uh, so we moved it upstairs, not really knowing how many to expect, and we probably had over 400 there. Awesome. So we would have been turning people away if we had stayed downstairs. And then the weather came along and hit, and we probably lost a couple hundred people because of the weather. So we would have had probably five to six or seven hundred people at that show. At I that believe program. the interest is definitely there, and the word's getting out for sure. And hopefully, I can help push us out a little bit farther, and uh, we'll see what happens. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, we'd love to. Uh have you on again once you get results like i'm sure there'll be all kinds of presentations and everything but for our own audience to you know get find out what they find out updates well like i said people love stories and they love stories when they involve murder and blood and sex yeah and the benders have all of that it has it all yeah surprised there's not a movie yet there is there a movie actually there's been a couple of movies made none of them are like Top shelf, I don't believe, correct? The last one I saw was 2016, and it was not a very good movie at all. Actually, they had the son, John Bender, as a eight-year-old boy. Oh, well. And it okay. just didn't make any sense. They took some liberties there, it just, didn't they? It just wasn't very good. Yeah. Well, maybe we can uh, get word to uh, Rob Zombie, and he'll make a movie. There we, you, we, go. you know, You know, one thing, I, people ask me, well, what, what are my plans? Uh, I mean, one thing I'd like to do is whatever I could do to help some tourism. Yeah here in the area and uh could there could this lead to a documentary could this lead to a small miniseries tv show i mean uh there's worse things on tv than this story by far oh for sure i've been watching hole diggers which is called curse of oak islands what we call it hole diggers yeah i've been watching hole diggers for 10 years (laughs) you've got more stuff in those bags over there than they got i i figured if the history channel can for 10 years keep people coming back and it, and it's a popular show and, and they never find anything yeah. <laughs> can you imagine what we could do if we could actually find something good no lord kidding. if you found a bone it'd never be i keep telling her even about this time of year when the show's not on i'm like well they ain't found anything yet because you know they're looking for the they're looking for the ark of the covenant they think is there and i'm like if they find that the whole world suddenly would become a christian you know because it's real it's actually there you know and so they haven't found anything yet we'd already know about it but uh uh, I I hope you find something. That'd be great if you did. Really cool. Well, we're we're finding some pottery and glass and some uh, metal parts now, so right. uh, we're uh, they're going to analyze those for the date and all that. And you know, there was uh, one guy who uh, got hold of me. Ironically, this was an interesting story. He was uh, uh, when Ku was out there in July. He uh, was driving by, and he. Uh, knew about where the Bender place was, and he stopped and talked to the professor, the KU professor. And this guy's great-grandfather homesteaded a farm near Parsons. His grandfather grew up there, and his father was there too, and then the, he, the father moved, his father moved off to Michigan, and he was raised in Michigan. So he was back in the area seeing some old places and such and just happened to come across KU out there. And uh, the KU professor calling goes, I have a... She said, I have a guy that you might want to talk to. And this guy is a nuclear engineer for, from Florida University. He's a professor down there. Jeez. And he came over to see me. And he had a real interest in the Bender property because of the Parsons connection. Mm-hmm. 
and he took some samples back where they can they're going to analyze things too. Well, that's cool. And, and kind of look and see what their perspective could be. Maybe it's overlap with KU, but maybe it could lead to something else, and maybe you get some other people involved and interest. And you never know who who can help you unravel any mysteries. That's really cool. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, thanks for coming, and we're going to see you again soon. I hope. And for those listening. If you liked what you hear, go over to WKOPodcast.com and uh, make a donation if you can. And uh, be sure to subscribe, listen, share, tell all your friends and neighbors. We'll see you next time.